So good afternoon and uh, good evening to some. Today and the next five days, at this time, we'll be giving talks which will, in a way, orient us to our practice, to the different practices that we'll do related to these four uh, really beautiful uh, states, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity that we'll be cultivating in these six days. We'll be, we'll have time, sometimes we may at the end of the talk have some room for discussion or questions, but definitely there'll be time uh, in the morning, after the morning instructions at the end of that session, also to bring up uh, any questions or comments related to, to the talk. And so the invitation is really to listen with your full being, to be, to be present. Uh, I like in listening to talks to really be grounded in my body. And each of us have uh, different learning styles. It's fine to take some notes if that feels helpful. But the suggestion is to not be too preoccupied by, the, uh, by, by all the content. We're actually recording the talks, and there'll be chances, uh, particularly after the retreat, to listen to the talks if you want to really listen and have detailed uh, notes and so forth. But fine to take some notes, but really, really listen with the body, listen with the heart, listen for what uh, touches you. So the theme of the, the talk today is an introduction to the Brahma Vihara, to these four practices, these four abodes of the awakened heart that we'll be cultivating uh, during these six days. I'll give an introduction to that, maybe the first quarter or third of the talk, and then the rest of the talk, I'll be giving a more detailed introduction to loving-kindness or meta-practice. And our basic strategy over these days will be to typically, in the evening sessions, to be partly, uh, after today, going over some of where we've been but also pointing towards the practices that we may do the next day. So we'll be focusing on meta practice actually for two full days, starting tomorrow morning. And so uh, the talk tomorrow will be continuing on meta practice, but then the talk in two days will be some on meta practice, but then orienting us to uh, compassion practice, which will be starting. Uh, in the morning after that talk, and so forth, with talks on sympathetic joy and equanimity. And uh, particularly the last talk, we'll be focusing on integrating our practices with uh, our daily life, particularly after the retreat. But throughout the retreat will be, uh, especially in the context of a retreat where we're most of us at home, where we'll be uh, making connections between the formal practices, silent, maybe eyes closed, 
with how we bring the practices into uh, the rest of the day. So the aim of the, these Brahma-vihara, typically translated as divine abodes, these four, we might say four uh, aspects of the awakened heart are a very beautiful teaching. They can, they can change our lives. They can be practices that really inform how we live moment to moment. I have uh, people who uh, I work with who work in the uh, health professions, who've been in the hospitals in this last year and taking care of people who do metta much of the day in the hospitals. These practices are really amenable to be brought into our lives or if someone's parenting, one can, these practices can go really well. Uh, a number of people I work with particularly do um, metta when they're driving. Some of us have had less opportunities in the last year. I have, I, I'm averaging about 10 miles a week, not too much. I, when I drive, I, I may do metta, but I, I do a lot of forgiveness practice also. Anyway, that's, we'll get to that later. And, and so these are really uh, tremendous uh, practices, potentially. One can, uh, sometimes I, I just walk around my neighborhood. I typically take two walks a day. And I like to sometimes be in a meta space where I'm offering meta to all beings that I encounter, including bushes and trees. It's really when I'm in that space, really glorious. So we want to encourage you to uh, develop in that way, really uh, these beautiful practices. Actually, the Brahma Vihara, these four practices, and Brahma is the name of the kind of the, almost like the, I don't know, the king of the gods or something, Brahma in Indian tradition. And vihara is the same word that we use for home. So it really means, it's usually generalized to mean the home of the gods and goddesses, we might say, the divine abodes. And another way to talk about this is to say that these are the stations of the awakened wise heart. And we train to develop these qualities. They're actually all in our being, almost as innate potentials. But as we know, our hearts get covered over by life and by wounds, sometimes by trauma. And so we go through a training, almost sometimes almost to bring back, to maintain, to have more contact with this really innate kind heart that is the birthright of all of us. And the aim is to train so that we live more and more with these uh, four qualities. The four Brahma Vihara were actually 
practiced in India. They were called the Four Immeasurables, which is also the way that these are described in Tibetan tradition. They were called the Four Immeasurables because when they're fully developed, they become boundless. And it's almost like a field of infinite care, kindness, love, whatever we call it. And so these teachings, the practices, were inherited actually by the Buddha. And yet, uh, they were very important for him. He practiced them, but also we know from the, we know from the text that he actually would live from these four qualities. He said, when I would enter a village, he said, I would abide in the Brahma Vihara. This is one of the passages. He said, this is my abiding. Setting mindfulness in front of me, this would be what he would, how he would say, entering a village. I abide suffusing one quarter of the world with a heart possessed of loving kindness. Likewise, the second quarter, likewise, the third, likewise, the fourth. So above, below, around and everywhere and to all the whole world, I suffuse with a heart grown great with loving kindness, free of enmity and untroubled. That was, that was his hangout mode, right? And that's, that's what we're training in. You know, you can get that sense of how it, it suffuses the being and goes, goes, really goes off in these infinite directions. There are four of these qualities that we'll practice in. Loving kindness or metta. And I'll say more about that, uh, about both the uh, translation a little bit later. Compassion or karuna. Sympathetic or appreciative joy, or mudita. That means, uh, typically it means joy in the joy of others. And I think we can also have joy in what's going well in ourselves. We'll, we'll talk about that in the next days. And then lastly, equanimity or upeka. And these are the four qualities of the awakened heart that we keep developing so that our moment-to-moment -moment expression might be more suffused with kindness. This is from the eighth century, Shantideva. Whenever catching sight of others, look upon them with an open, loving heart. from the Tibetan tradition, uh, Pacho Rinpoche. Everything you say with your mouth or do with your hands, instead of being harmful to others, should be straightforward and kind. And I also think of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Again, coming more from a Christian perspective, very, very similar. He says, I say to you, I have decided to stick to love. For I know that love is ultimately the only answer to the problems of humanity. I say to myself that hate is too great a burden to bear. I've decided to love. If you are seeking the highest good, I think you can find it through love. And one of the aspects 
of these four practices is that they're all connected. We really speak of there really being one awakened heart, but it has, as it were, four flavors. And so we sometimes say that loving kindness or metta is the general sense of kindness that we bring moment to moment, particularly when nothing special is happening. But when that awakened heart encounters something difficult or painful in oneself or others, it becomes compassion. It's not a different heart. It's just that the heart naturally, when it's open and developed, becomes compassionate when there's something difficult or painful that we, that we sense. And in a similar way, when that awakened heart meets something going well, I would say in oneself or others, I would say also beauty. When we encounter something beautiful, joyful, someone else is happy and so forth, it becomes uh, mudita. There's a kind of joy that develops. And then lastly, when that open, awakened heart is there increasingly with more and more, it becomes the quality of equanimity that can be there with anything the ups and downs, the difficulties, the beautiful things, and stays balanced. We sometimes say that equanimity is like the care of a wise grandmother who has seen everything. Doesn't get knocked off center, but the caring is there. It's not, you know, from all the experiences, there's not cynicism. There's not a disconnection. There's still the kind heart. That's what equanimity is. It's quite beautiful. So we're going to explore all of these, all of these in more depth. And there, one of the beautiful teachings that we'll explore is how all of these are connected. And actually the teaching is each of these qualities has what we might almost call occupational hazards that are balanced out by the other three. And so they all have to be developed together. Really, it's a beautiful teaching, both the teaching that the qualities have these tendencies at times to be distorted, and also that they get balanced out by the other three dimensions of the awakened heart. So, for example, loving-kindness can sometimes be possessive or grasping, right? Love can be grasping. That's an occupational hazard as we care more. And that can get balanced out probably especially by equanimity, but also by the others. Equanimity brings in especially the wisdom factor more. Similarly, compassion has a typical distortion of, of expressing itself as a kind of pity where I'm distanced from 
those that I have compassion for. There's some of the genuine quality, but it can be distorted. Pity, I may be thinking myself better than the person who's in pain. It can be some genuine compassion, but something off as well. And that gets balanced out, or you think of compassion can also get kind of burned out. And there particularly, uh, those who are developing compassion have as their practice, spend a lot of time with joy. Someone has to do it, <laughs> right? And so similarly, with joy, one can get a little bit caught up in it and almost like identified with it or almost like overly attached to the joy or infatuated with it. And again, their equanimity, but all the others help too. And then equanimity has the occupational hazard of maybe, there are quite a few of them actually, but of being uh, cut off from the kind heart. So I'm, I'm really balanced with everything, but I'm actually kind of distant and a little bit separate and I don't really feel it so much. That would be the occupational hazard of equanimity, right? And so you can see how that gets really balanced out by the other three. So it's a beautiful teaching, which I really love that first, that each of these have its tendency, their tendencies to be distorted. But then secondly, they get balanced out by the other three. So it's really wonderful to practice these together. And I should say that these kind of retreats where we practice all four of them for substantial periods of time are not commonly offered. These are not common retreats. So I think uh, both Kyra Jewell and I really love offering these to offer these for these number of days. This is from the 14th century uh, Tibetan teacher, Long Chenpa, about the connection of the four. Another way of saying it, out of the soil of loving kindness grows the beautiful bloom of compassion to be watered by tears of joy under the cool shade of the tree of equanimity. Out of the soil of loving kindness grows the beautiful bloom of compassion to be watered by tears of joy under the cool shade of the tree of equanimity. And I think we have the capacity, we'll put some of these quotes on the homepage so you can access them. Okay, so we'll, we'll be doing that. After the end of the day, we still ha we'll have our homework to, to get the quotes, some of the quotes up. So maybe one, or, one more thing to say about these practices in general, and then I'll talk some about uh, more about uh, metta in, in more detail, which is that it's very important that um, the practices that we'll be doing should definitely be considered as training. We are cultivating these four qualities and the typical method that we'll use, which many of you are familiar with, is the method of silent internal repetition of phrases, which tend to be evocative of the particular state that we're developing. So I may say, um, may you, if I'm 
offering metta to another, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be as healthy as possible, may your life unfold with ease. You know, and we will have some chance, and we'll, we'll explore this tomorrow morning, we'll have a chance if we haven't already developed uh, our own phrases, we'll have a chance to experiment a little bit, see what is evocative for you. And so that's a main method that we'll use, and they're actually phrases, and you can actually, um, we have these uh, on the homepage. You can take a look and actually bring the, the there are actually two handouts for metta uh, that have sample phrases. And so if you have a printer, and it's easy to print out these, one is one that I developed, and then Kyra Jewell has a second one, which I think just goes under the title Ramavihara phrases, which adds some further ones to the ones that I had. And so um, bring those to the uh, 8 a.m. Pacific uh, uh, session tomorrow morning. So one way is that we work with phrases and we cultivate. That's our, that'll be our main method. And we'll also be uh, exploring a second method, which most likely is closer to how the Buddha actually practiced and taught these four qualities, which we sometimes call the radiating method, the radiating metta, or the radiate, radiation of compassion. And this is where we cultivate the, almost like the quality of loving kindness in our hearts so that we actually feel there's a kind of energy in the center of the chest. And this can take some time, uh, but when we feel that, we also have the potential of then letting it naturally radiate out in the to left and right, front and back, above and below. And it can be quite a wonderful uh, way to practice. And we'll bring in that probably uh, on, on Wednesday. We'll start to offer that as a method. But it's helpful to emphasize that these practices can, I think it's really important to see them as intention practices rather than production practices. That's one way to say it. We are inclining towards loving kindness or towards compassion. And then we see what gets in the way. But sometimes we'll say the phrase, may you be happy, and we'll just get, you're already happy. Why should I do meta to you? This is what part of what happens in meta practice. A warning <laughs> that doing loving kindness or compassion practice doesn't simply automatically lead to us being full of loving kindness or compassion for the rest of our lives. Sorry. If you want your registration feedback, you can consult Anissa. But, um, but actually, we are inclining, we're intending in that direction, and then we simply see what happens. And sometimes we feel warmth. Sometimes we're just distracted. Sometimes we'll actually come across something which in a way uh, blocks the heart. And those are all part of the practice. Those are all normal. And it's very important that we hold that perspective as we go forward, that we're not sitting here thinking, I, uh, Donald, I'm going to produce loving kindness right now. You can almost feel that 
the way I said it, did that have much loving kindness in it? I don't think so, right? And so uh, that's we want to watch that, right? And over time, the heart opens, but we also encounter that which is is often in the way. So let me take the rest of the time to talk in more detail about meta practice, and I'll talk more generally about the nature of meta practice, and then tomorrow morning at the eight o'clock session, I'll give detailed instructions. So again, bring the uh, if you if you can print out the handouts that we have on the homepage, bring those. And I think we'll also be able to put them on the screen if you don't have a printer. We can do that just as we did for the refuges and precepts. So we can do it that, that way tomorrow morning. But we'll, we'll have more of the overview for the rest of this evening, or for me, it's still afternoon, um, um, and then tomorrow, the actual practice. So metta practice is probably the foundational practice for the Brahma Vihara. And it's simple and radical. It's the intention to have kindness, warmth in our being moment to moment. The word that we translate as loving-kindness, metta, M-E-T-T-A, actually is connected etymologically to words that are associated with uh, friendliness and friendship. But this is something pointed out by my colleague Anushka Fernandapola, is that most it seems the case that in most cultures, prior maybe to Western culture in the last 50, 100 years, friendship played a more central role and was a more central, um, almost like, um, value in most cultures than it is in ours. In our, our culture, not, not always, but very commonly, sort of romantic connection is at the center of our culture. How many rock and roll songs have you heard about friendship? <laughs> okay, I rest my case. Okay, um, and and yet when we look to other cultures, friendship may be more central, more powerful, embedded in community, connection with others, <clears throat> rooted in family and community, and so I I, I like that interpretation because it gives a sense of why metta is actually a very powerful and strong quality. It's the, if we use that etymology, we could define metta as a warm, expansive friendliness, ultimately to all beings. And in our practice, we continually have this intention to express that warmth, that kindness, that sense of connection. And then, as I was mentioning earlier, 
We see what gets in the way. We see what blocks the heart. Or we see where we, sometimes we see where we have wounds, where something calls to be healed, to permit the heart to sometimes feel safe enough to, to open. I think most of us know that, some version of that. And so this is a beautiful ancient vocation that what the center of one's life could be the opening up of the kind heart. And in our world of crisis and so much uh, difficulty and enmity, it can be beautiful to connect with the simplicity of this core intention to come with warmth and kindness moment to moment. And to think that human beings have centered their lives on that and found ways to bring that into all parts of their lives, including the difficulties. That's amazing. These are from the, the Buddha's words from the text called the Metta Sutta or the, the discourse on Metta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. And so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. And we find this teaching very prominently in the teachings of the Buddha, but we also find it in so many other traditions and in secular traditions as well. From Mark Twain, kindness is the language the blind can see and the deaf can hear. From the Jewish tradition, from the Talmud, the highest form of wisdom is kindness from 2,000 years ago. From the Christian tradition, from the Christian contemplative Thomas Merton, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That is not our business. In fact, it is nobody's business. What we are asked to do is to love, and this love will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. From the Islamic tradition, from uh, the poet Rumi, love is the water of life. Drink it down with heart and soul. And so again, this is what we are developing in our lives, recognizing that we're doing so still with a pandemic for, I think, virtually everyone, still with multiple crises in our world. You know, and again, some of these great teachers and sages uh, from ancient tradition as well as contemporary point to 
how what we're developing in these six days can be a basis for all dimensions of our lives, including the difficult ones, including being with the challenges of the world, with injustice and so forth. And as we'll find uh, tomorrow, when we practice, we'll have some challenges. And I think each of these challenges are connected with uh, some of the core qualities that we develop. So we'll notice at times, you may have noticed in the earlier sitting, that there may be distraction. Our minds may be all over the place. And part of what we develop in these four beautiful practices is that we develop a greater concentration and stability of mind. What we're actually doing is we're using these phrases and just over and over again coming back and repeating these phrases internally, silently, which are evocative, which tend to evoke our kind heart. In the practice, as we develop the heart to, uh, more fully, as it opens more and more, at a certain point, the phrases can even drop away, and we're just with the kindness, or just with the compassion, just with the joy. And so we may have tendencies to distraction, but we counter that with the practice, and we develop concentration. We may have tendencies to be apart from our hearts. There may be difficulties even in accessing the heart for different reasons. Some of it conditioning, some of it past experiences. And we'll learn how to keep on inviting the kind heart to be present. I, I like to use the phrase, we learn more and more how to lead with our hearts. And again, we can transfer this into our daily lives. We'll also see that which stands in the way of the kind heart. Again, as I was mentioning, it could be conditioning, it could be uh, some difficult experiences of the past, it could be a busy mind. And in the course of our six days, we'll sometimes encounter that which gets in the way of the kind heart. And we'll tend to open up. We sometimes talk about the practice of these four qualities as purification practices. We offer up what gets in the way for purification, and it happens. It's not linear and it's not always easy, but this is part of what happens in the practice. So we develop more concentration, we learn more to lead with our hearts. We engage in a process of purification. And as we do that, we may touch the deeper places in our 
very being. Touch some of the depths of our, of our kind heart. And then increasingly we find ways to bring the kind heart out into our daily lives, into our, our action in the world. So I'll say a little bit more about these, about these qualities that are developed, you know, concentration, leading with the heart, uh, kind of opening through purification and being able to act from the, uh, from the kind heart. What we'll do is we will be practicing so that we work with these phrases. I may be saying, may I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy or as healthy as possible. May my life unfold with ease. And we can actually use a whole variety of practices, uh, phrases, I should say, phrases that I use, for example, May I, and these are, um, you can take them if you like them. I'll say them again tomorrow morning. May I rest in the awakened heart. May I be safe and free from harm. May my body support my practice. May I be held by love. And so as we say these continually, the mind will get steadier. We keep on coming back. You know, the distraction settles. And we'll talk about, um, we'll talk about way, I'll talk tomorrow morning about sort of ways of developing further that increased steadiness, that increased concentration, you know. And we also can learn to have our hearts be more present and what I, what I call leading with our hearts. And Personally, this was something that I had to um, learn to do. I think I had, I've always had kind of a sensitive heart, you know, a, a kind heart. But I think with my uh, conditioning, I think particularly as a man growing up in this culture, I think I was really trained to lead with my thinking, lead with problem solving. And so for me personally, I had, to, uh, I had to learn to come back more to my heart. And we find that with, with many of us, that it's a learning process to connect with the kind heart, to be able to lead with the heart. And for me, it was, it was quite a process. Meta has played a very, very important role to help me, to help me do that. You know, and I think it's very also very important to be clear that leading with the heart does not mean being nicey-nice. That I can be kind and lead with my heart and say something the other person doesn't want to hear, talk about a difficult situation, tell someone else that's not okay, Whatever, and we can, but uh, we can do that increasingly with, with kindness, with the spirit of metta. I sometimes call this sort of like we have the phrase in English, "tough love." I like to speak about tough metta. Okay, 
So this will be something we'll, we'll come back to. You can develop tough metta. It's more like advanced practice, right? Okay, so talking about developing more steadiness and concentration, learning to lead with our hearts, and then also seeing what gets in the way of our, of our kind hearts. And there's all sorts of things that get in the way. I mentioned some of them, the conditioning, past experiences, but there are also simply our tendencies that might be to uh, often be reactive, to go to anger very quickly, might be to have strong tendencies to be judgmental of oneself or of others. This is some of what we will encounter as we do the practice. We will encounter our reactivity, our patterns of being judgmental, of being fearful, of being uh, sometimes uh, polarizing in our anger. We'll encounter these uh, tendencies and as we practice, they'll sometimes come up and we can work with them. And we can work to really to uh, disentangle those states. Often like being judgmental can sometimes really hold something that's valuable. I can be judgmental about social injustice. I'm seeing something important, but I can also be very reactive, which is generally not going to be helpful. Right? And so I can engage almost in another kind of purification practice where I, where I find what's valuable, the discernment, the seeing of the injustice, and separate it from the reactivity. Some of that will occur as we practice our, our metta, our loving kindness. We'll see the, the, the different patterns. We'll also, as we practice, we'll come to touch our depths more. Sometimes we'll actually feel that kind of radiating metta where our whole field of experience is loving kindness or metta, or we might call it love. And we can touch that. And I think when we touch that, whether you, whether in this retreat or after or before, it's something that stays with us. We know this as a human potential. I know that I can actually exist and be with others, even be with difficult situations, and come from this profound place. And as we practice more and more, we get more and more familiar with these depths, with this state, and, some, and it stays with us, even when we're off-center. Something in us knows that we're off-center. It's one of the fruits of, of, of doing this practice. We also, in the process, come to integrate the different parts of our being. As I was mentioning my own conditioning, I would say my mind was somewhat separate from my heart, was somewhat separate from my body. We're going to be emphasizing how we can really connect our different parts of our being, that, that our 
metta can be embodied and be expressed in our speech, in our language, how we are with others, and our thinking to ourselves. That as we do metta practice more and more, there's a kind of integration of ourselves, kind of unified by warmth and kindness. And then the, these other qualities of compassion and joy and equanimity. And so ultimately we also connect our loving kindness with our mindfulness, with our wisdom. You know, it's sometimes said that the whole of the teachings of the Buddha are like a bird which has two wings, which flies with one wing of wisdom and one wing of compassion, which is really code for loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And as we unify the different parts of our being, we also unify our mindfulness with our wisdom, with our kindness, with our compassion. We, we go towards what we sometimes call the wise heart or joyful wisdom. The, the qualities get integrated. So there can be a profound integration and wholeness, which is also the result of our practice. So I'm saying all these nice things. And I also just want to say that um, first day or two can be challenging. We'll repeat this tomorrow. I've said all these nice things, oh, radiate metta. And then tomorrow morning, it's like, my mind is just buzzing around like, okay, where is the metta? I don't know. Anyway, just so just know that the first day or two can be challenging. Stay with it. You know, I've been present to, I don't know, 25 or 30 loving kindness, Brahma Vihara retreats. Virtually every one of them, most people, if not everyone, at the beginning of the retreat have some challenges. At the end of the retreat, people are glowing. So I don't know if that's a guarantee, but that's my experience. So just the basic thing, that's just to say, keep going. And, and there'll be ups and downs, but, but don't worry about it. So we'll, we'll unify the wisdom and the, the wisdom and the, the kind heart. We'll touch our own depths. We'll, one of the qualities of metta, which develops, is that we have more and more a sense of interconnection with others. It's a beautiful story from the Buddha of him visiting a group of monks who were called the Anarudas. There were like five or six monks, and they were called collectively the Anarudas, which was the name of the senior monk. I kind of think of it like the Anaruda sounds a little bit like a I don't know, a musical group or something. Anyway, they were called the Anarudas, and the Buddha visited them, and he said, hey, you Anarudas, how is it that you are together with each other, you know, uh, blending like milk and honey with kind thoughts towards each other? And Anaruda, the senior monk, he answered, he said, assuredly, we have different bodies, but we actually have only one mind and heart. And that has been cultivated by metta. 
that sense of profound interconnection. It's one of the, again, one of the fruits of our, of our practice. And then finally, you know, and this is something that takes time, we'll emphasize it some, we, we are able to bring the metta into our world more and more, into our speech, into our actions. Some of us will have a chance to experiment during this retreat with bringing metta these first two days into any interactions you have. If you have, again, partner or family, um, and there's some talking that you do, you can have the intention to have that come out of metta, come out of, come out of kindness. And uh, that's part of our practice. We'll be continually emphasizing that, and especially towards, towards the end of the retreat. You know, and again, you look to people like Dr. King or uh, Gandhi, number of people involved in social change, speak about bringing kindness and love into the public sphere. Uh, Cornell West says that the public face of, ju- of love is justice. The public face of love is justice. And so that's really our aspiration to find ways to keep on training so that we can have these qualities more and more there in our daily lives and our actions in the world. And so this is some of the horizon of the metta practice and really related to the other practices as well. We develop more steadiness of mind. We learn to lead with the hearts more and more. We purify aspects of our own being. We touch some of our depths. We integrate the different parts of ourselves and then we learn to act to get, we learn to act in the world, bringing these qualities in. So let me bring uh, my talk really to a finish. With a further passage from the Metta Sutta, the core text on Metta practice from the Buddha. So with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection of metta. This is said to be the sublime abiding. This is said to be the Brahma Vihara. So thank you very much for your your kind attention. I think I'll leave the, the talk just ending just like I did. And we if there are questions or comments, let's bring them up tomorrow morning. We'll leave a little I'll leave a good chunk of time for questions or uh, comments related to the talk and also related to our practice tomorrow. So let me invite you now, as we prepare for, for some of us, it's time for sleep. Uh, 
for some of us, uh, we may have another hour or so, hour or two that we're awake. For some of us uh, in the Pacific time zone, it may be actually time for supper soon and we have evening free. Let's reflect on, as we did before, on the way we can bring our practice. Again, the practice we're doing now, if you, if you know metta practice, you can start bringing metta to your time away from the uh, sessions together. But if you haven't learned metta practice yet, you can bring that sense of mindfulness and being present that Kyra Jewel guided us in for the uh, rest of the day and then uh, tomorrow morning. And again, we'll come together at 6 a.m. Pacific for Qigong and sitting. But let me invite you just to reflect now for 30 seconds or a minute on how you'll bring your practice, either metta or mindfulness, into the next period of time. So thanks everyone. May you uh, have a good rest of the day and rest well. I'll just say that sometimes, very often, actually very often in meta retreats, there are very interesting dreams. So keep an eye out. And don't be worried if they're a little bit weird. Okay? <laughs> That's a good sign, actually. So see you tomorrow, and uh, great to be seeing everyone. It's actually, this is almost like uh, more personal in some ways for me seeing 25 faces close up as I teach. That would be very hard to do if we were live and in person. So there's some advantages this way. So, okay, so rest well when you rest, and uh, um, see you tomorrow morning. Thanks, everyone. And we'll do, if you want to, we can do this. See you soon. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.